Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy, and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. And joining me this week to discuss series two, episode four, is the author, journalist, and too young to remember this, Daisy Buchanan. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Daisy. Thank you so much for having me. No, I'm thanks so for coming. I, would this have been H is six, this series? You are forensically correct. <laughs> yes, it is. So yeah, I yeah. was one. So it's entirely possible one. that I have seen oh. bits of Howard's Way. <laughs> Just, you know, not quite. The first thing I remember on the yeah. telly is sneaking down to watch Poirot in a dressing gown. Ah, okay. You strike me as someone who somehow it seeped in viral osmosis anyway whether you I'm wanted sure. it to or not I had it was like you know I was living a past life or something yeah there were definitely parts of the show where I thought I've lived this <gasps> also I think because I had a a sailing boyfriend so I think I've been to you had a what Tarrant. now he was a uh, sailing McSailerson and did it, he take you out on his boat yeah well he was like boy Lynn I think where really all he cared about was boats and going out with him was a bit miserable <laughs> oh no <laughs> so quite often he's like well no we were supposed I know it's your birthday but I'm gonna go sailing without oh. you oh seriously it wouldn't even be like a question of him showing off his prowess with the tiller he'd just leave no. you on dry land he didn't even try to sort of sexually harass me so I had to jump in the water and swim to a different boat damn it all so you've watched that episode I just then. wanted some attention <laughs> oh, well I'm sorry your experience with a sailor was wasn't as jolly as it might have been. Oh, well, I think I've just about made my peace with it Excellent, now, okay. enough to be able to do this. <laughs> this didn't trigger you in any way. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> too much. Abandonment, abandonment. <laughs> right, well, we're going to just throw ourselves into this episode with the opening shot, which is, no one seems to know who this man is, and quite rightly so, he's a very mysterious figure. Oh yeah, because I've got to know, is that Leo? Because in my head, I was thinking... Leo had sort of turned into, you know, in A Bit of Fry and Laurie, when Hugh Laurie plays a really greasy, sort of sad teenager. Yes. But all the Leo's got handsome, but then <laughs> this I is, couldn't no, quite this place is, him. And I, thought I it's think not in him series two, they realised they needed a kind of heartthrob character. 
And they've got the older men, but they didn't have a kind of teen pinup. Mm. So definitely in this series, he I mean, he had a leather jacket before, but he never really had a leather jacket. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Now he's got the leather jacket. He does zip it up, which is a nice kind of spotty character detail. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got slightly longer hair, looks a bit more like David Cassidy and wears leather jacket. So I think they're pushing the heartthrob Leo. But briefly, before we see Leo, more of him in a minute, we see Shellett, who is this weird sort of horny faced character who definitely is evil. And he's standing on the train bridge. He's looking down at the marina and he's watching the boatyard employees going about their business. Oh, so, I remember Shellett from last time because yeah. I hope this isn't um, skipping ahead too much Mm-mm. but I've got dark, sinister version of theme yes, to signal yes. that Shellett is there. It sort of goes That's in the minor key which I really enjoyed. He does. He gets the best signature tunes throughout this. It, it develops that theme into a kind of Russian spy balalaika thing which is completely inappropriate because he's not Russian. Uh, but anyway, let's get on to Leo. Dreamy Leo. <laughs> he's basically standing in nature just drinking it in isn't he there's a wordless scene where he just gazes at the seabirds as they frolic in the mud and the cameraman's having a really good time shooting the local wildlife or possibly some stock footage of the local wildlife I'm not sure it's actually there do you think they put him there because the actor's like can I do do a bit of business can I I think I'd quite like to be you know in the plot like why not just go in the nature reserve and show how Leo communes with nature? I, you will see. And I don't want to spoil anything for you, but if you continue to watch, it's basically setting him up as somebody who's at one with nature, despite wearing a dead cow on his back, by the way. But yeah, he's at one with nature. He yes, loves nature. I was going to say about, you doesn't know. doesn't quite fit, does it? Leo would be, um, imagine the vegans of Instagram going for modern day <laughs> Leo. It would be a binge fire. I know, also, exactly. And also he rides a motorbike, so he doesn't care about the environment as much as he says. But he's being set up as a nature boy and a nature lover because he's going to strongly object and I mean strongly object to something that's happening later on. I have a on. spooky feeling this mm. is going to involve big business. Oh you are not far off the truth. Anyway so I love nature his face seems to say and then he sees a planning notice attached to the fence and I put underneath just a heart and the word throb because I think I suddenly realised they're, tr- they're turning that ship around. Leo's been a bit of a sort of ineffectual quite quiet quite sort of limp character and I think they're trying to make him into sort of like eco beefcake. I can imagine him sort of on the back of Mandy or something. On the back of who now? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, um, I think it was probably going then, the old DC Thompson comic. I was not allowed to read Just 17 and your sexy ones. Which is ironic because I eventually. In case they told you what a blowjob was. Yes, Ah, I might learn things that were best saved for my wedding night. Um, (laughs) But Mandy and Gigi and Bunchy, um, Ah. I was just about old. They were sort of the acceptable face of. And they did a bit of sort of heartthrobby, you know, Ah. home and your ways. And um, I wouldn't have been allowed to watch Howard's Way. Even oh, I suppose I was, not. It does get quite sexy. No, I was. Um, it was Little House on the Prairie for me, and that was it. <laughs> but I could sort of fake knowledge of soaps by who was on the back of Bunty. Actually, but that's if, quite good. Yeah, it's a shorthand, isn't but it? But if I admitted that I'd seen them on the back of Bunty, I'd get my head kicked in. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because like none of your friends were probably reading. Times that. is hard. They were all reading. Look, and in fact, Lookin's probably before your time, isn't Thank it? Thankly, remember my friend you- Sarah Dean got Lookin. I was very <sighs> jealous. So we leave Leo in nature. We cut to the marina where we just crucially, because we know what happens later in the episode, you see Davy, one of the young guys at the boatyard, he's checking and double checking and thrice checking a boat that Jack is due to take out for another test sail the next morning. I don't know if I was sort of overreacting being a bit, you know, overly woke millennial about this, <laughs> but I'm sure Jack said something to Davy about your lot being lazy and I thought... Really? Yeah. Well, or he maybe has it just had... meant a deckhand and not a 
Possibly, but no, uh, Davy, obviously the only plot line he's had to himself, which is kind of a tiny one within an episode in series one, was that he did get to receive some racial abuse in the workplace, which was really resolved by just no one ever talking about it ever again. So yeah, no, he's still not calling him his proper name. No, they they won't call him that. It's much easier to shorten it because stuff him and his his heritage, (laughs) quite frankly. But anyway, while Davy's checking the boat, Shellet is lurking, not so subtly, in the background. And then he comes and talks to Davy or Davinda we should probably call him and he pretends to want to buy a boat but do you think he does want to buy a boat Daisy or is he up to something oh you know I think he's probably coming to money and it's all just gonna be fine and he's gonna buy a boat there's nothing subtle about this episode but I didn't enjoy it any the less for that back at his grubby hotel uh, Shellet is harassed by his landlady he's been living there for some time on the Charles Freer dollar Charles Freer was using him for a nefarious scheme and when he no longer was useful he has basically has to fend for himself so he hasn't got any money he flew him over from foreign climes and now he's penniless and doesn't know how to oh, get and back. I like the detail of the landlady's really grumpy because like, you've left the tap running too (laughs) yeah not that he hasn't paid any money for like was it two weeks or something but anyway so there's a brief scene to establish that he's up against it financially so clearly he's a desperate man he's already been quite a desperate man anyway and you know just not a very nice one either basically he slept with his sister or wanted to that's all you need to know Anyway, <laughs> perhaps too much information. Then we go to the Urquhart's house. Now, had you seen or remembered Polly from yes, earlier I thought viewings? this was a very strong Polly look. I've never seen so much <sighs> eyeshadow. It's great in one place, let yeah. alone on one person <laughs> or one eyelid. Yeah, but no. So she is. I've just always write down her position I... when the camera comes over. It just says Polly feet up gin. <laughs> That's Polly. Never really good choker as well. Very oh, really? lady die. Ah. It's a sort of. I remember it if I remember rightly. I've just got a little like my, when it says pearl choke, which mm. that sounds like something that Dick Shellett might want to do with his sister. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a sort of a double strand with a yeah. kind of a big opaly glinty thing. That does sound and also, very good. And also, I don't want to skip ahead too far. Oh, that was it. It's um, old Gerald. Gerald. Uh, yeah. Gerald. Mm-hmm. I paid a quarter of a million pounds. Sorry, I'll try that again. <laughs> I paid a quarter of a million pounds for this house. <laughs> You're are like, we supposed wow. to be impressed by that? Well, girl? of course we are. Oh, it's 1986. <laughs> There's a billion trillion pounds back what, then. What do you think that's worth by now? Is there something we can... My God, I don't know. Well, actually, the setting for... So obviously, the studio's all filmed elsewhere, but all the outside locations were really pretty much in the same kind of square mile. They were all clustered in this little village on the south coast. And so I have walked past their massive mansion of a house, which Polly thinks is a bit pokey and should be bigger. Um, I can only imagine, I mean, being that near the water and... Uh, just beautiful surroundings like a few million definitely a few not just one but yes anyway so she's being ungrateful she doesn't like that he has to do grubby things to earn money sometimes he's sort of Charles's right hand man they went to university together but he's ended up somehow being his toady basically so that the two of them row about money oh because Polly as well said you get damn good value for your money and I was like do you though <laughs> not Polly really. just making him look straight is mm, it really that's that literally really it that much in the well she should have just 80s? said that then not idle all the drudgery because she she doesn't she, no. there's no way she cleans there is, she's never unloaded a dishwasher look mm. at her no no extremely unlikely so I don't imagine that she does a lot apart from go shopping and yeah provide him with a, a shop window essentially for his his lifestyle but anyway they talk about Abby their daughter mm. who's now having this weird sort of grudging visit from the guy who knocked her up Orin? when she was at school yeah Orin and there's the no chemistry there at Orin, all I know in pop culture is the sort of creepy silent goth in Parks and Recreation Oh, yeah. He's mates with Thingy. April Ludgate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Orin. Yeah, it's not... I don't know if it's a common name in America no. or if it was then, but, you know, it's kind of... They decided that's what someone who was very, very 
very rich in America would call their son. So or enough. I think maybe someone wrote it down and couldn't read the writing. <laughs> 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 On a note, and it's supposed to be like Aaron or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they just made it up for this and now other people as a consequence mm. are called Orin. That would be kind of cool. People who think this is a sort of a classy, you know, much and ivory BBC drama. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Which, which it is, isn't it? Well, not much and ivory, but... I mean, no. I maybe, so. it, it, it had a pretty good budget, but not not sort of Helen the Bottom Carter in Italy budget. Like, not quite that much. Oh, I'd love to see Helen the Bottom Carter playing Polly. No, actually now, she'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't she? Just with a red wig. I'm just picturing it. So anyway, they have a chat about the fact that Abby and Orin don't seem that romantically into each other. But Polly's desperate for them to marry because she wants her family to be connected with this very rich family in America. Because once again, obviously, everything always is about her. It's all she cares about. Then we move to Avril's house. I love this scene. So Avril's never so much as looked at a piano, let alone, I don't even know she owned a piano. <laughs> but she's in this scene. Clearly, the actress Susan Gilmore could just play the piano. So they said, it would be lovely if you were playing the piano in this scene. So she's Avril sitting at the piano, tinkling away. I tried to Shazam it. I don't know what she was playing. Something sort of tinkling and uh, and, and classical. And it might then have just been an elaborate scale. May- maybe of... it was delightful. Whatever. Do you it remember was. from your from your music lesson days? <laughs> <laughs> also, I, did, I did the oboe, mate. I've never never touched a keyboard in my life. I've written down the actress playing Avril looks really beautiful in spite of her hair. <laughs> yes, no, it's true. She does have this. Str- well, obviously, it's again, it's an eighties thing, but this strange sort of short at the front, long at the back thing. She often puts it in a ponytail. It's, it's a bit confused. It's really, style. really peculiar. It's almost yeah. like eight different people cussed at once and everyone was re- responsible for one layer <laughs> but they didn't talk to each other at any point during <laughs> that ruin the magic yeah. <laughs> exactly it's like a, it's like consequences but with hair <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend trying that at home anyway she's playing something delightful and she hears the door and thinks it's Tom because her and Tom are still having a bit of a thing together mm. And then it turns out, of course, it's Charles. He's let himself in and he asks her, is it still Campari and soda? <laughs> uh, That's the which, best line. Do you ever, have you tried Campari? Well, you know the story, don't you? But I only learned this. So my friend Holly interviewed, I think it's Simon Callow, about do you like Campari? Being really? code for do you like homosexual activities is that true is that really Apparently, true I, had, in, in I did not land, know this that is, <gasps> so that's the coded question if you before you were able to say fancy a bit love you had to keep it, it under and counter I, um, I told my sisters and we all thought this was hilarious and so <laughs> on Christmas I said to my dad with them all you know in that sort of all it's like things you do in the playground like, dad dad do you like Campari? And he said, well, I tried to. I used to think it was terribly sophisticated. And I had a bit of a go and I realised it wasn't for me. <laughs> Come on, Dad. Oh, that's just perfect. <laughs> Precious. But anyway, I don't know. I can't imagine Avril drinking that. I'd imagine her drinking like a nice dry white wine or something. Mm. But, you know, apparently, Spritzer. perhaps in her Charles Freer bonking days, that was what she drank to seem sophisticated or something as well. Or again, it was another, she said Bacardi and it got Miss Hutt and he was like, oh, yeah. Campari for you. <laughs> yeah, and she didn't correct him. But he says he's effectively there to um, offer her a directorship of his company because she's the shrewdest businesswoman he's ever come across. It makes you quite a formidable lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She says she also has charm and natural good looks. If there was a special theme for Avril, I would like it to be called Formidable Lady. A bit of a stringy. Also, I love this scene because... I know this is a recurring theme, but Charles Freer, Freer, Freer. No one ever decides what that is. It's pronounced the most different ways yeah. in one section. Yeah. In one real... episode, it will be every different actor hasn't been told. Like, like here's the style book. We call him Freer or Freer. <laughs> Everyone just makes up their it's own mind. It's Charles Freer. <laughs> 
Just call him Charles. Much easier. He's trying to power play her. He's not just trying to offer a job. He's trying to kind of remind her of when she loved him. And she's not really over him. So she finds it all very difficult. And when Tom arrives to kind of break things up. And I like the way she opens the door and says, um, Charles Frere's here, I'm afraid. <laughs> and that's the most Princess Diana I think she is in this whole episode and Tom kind of comes in and squares his shoulders up to him and says you know leave my friends and family alone and then Charles possessively sort of touches her hand to put his empty Campari glass in it and he kind of slinks out leaving the trail of slime behind him as he always does Ooh, do you know I think that Charles doesn't envy Tom's relationship with Avril so mm. much as Tom's voice. I think how successful oh, yeah. Charles would be at business if he had that very powerful, <laughs> commanding voice. It is incredible, isn't it? You sit up and listen whenever Tom talks. And I really like it when the actor who plays him, Morris Corbin, when he, he goes up a notch, when he's like showing, mm. displaying emotion. And suddenly you're kind of staring, going, where did that sound come from? Because I just can never quite believe that he makes Matt Berry sound like Jamie Squirley. <laughs> You're right, he does. He's so manly. Uh, then we cut back to the grubby hotel, where by the light of a single bedside lamp, Shellet is making a bomb in a cigar box, Ooh, as yeah, you do. Shellet up to nonsense with books. Because <laughs> at first, because it looked quite like a sort of an old, you know, nostalgic old-timey box. I'm like, oh, is it more artefacts from the sister shack ah, times? Ah, yes. It's a yes. lock of hair, mm. sister knickers. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Shellet. He probably does have a pair. Of, well, let's just That's well a different box. Very, very unpleasant. This is a bomb box. <laughs> it is. Then we cut back to Avril's where Tom and Avril are kind of a bit glum because she's been left a bit flat by this visit by her ex-lover. Oh, yes, because I've got nothing more erotic than Tom saying, boardroom tussles. <laughs> Woof. And in that voice too. And the multinational viewpoint. This might be the definitively 80s episode of Howard's Way. Do you know, there are lots of them, but yeah, this conversation is especially, isn't it? Because they start to discuss the pull between the good life and the boardroom. He's longing for the cabbage patch. <laughs> Which was sort, I sort of understood. Kids, they were big in those days. They were, but they were very disturbing and, you know, not, I don't think that's what he means. But yeah, so she obviously, that we're now establishing where perhaps their relationship might not be entirely going brilliantly is because she is ambitious and pushing back towards the boardroom and, and kind of high-flying business. And he really has had enough of all that. At the, the start of this series, he gave up his job in big business because he wanted to make boats. She's accidentally married her dad. Well, not married her dad. She's going out with him. But it, it becomes... It's actually quite good the way they've definitely given her character and like a valid reason well, for fancying him. Very, very obvious thing for them to do which would be say you know Avril wants kids yes. you know, Tom's got grown up kids but she is younger and ambitious and exactly. that's where her yeah you're right and AC Soap would you naturally assume that, that they'd give the female character that kind of impetus and actually they don't at all so Charlotte's fashioning a bomb Tom and Avril are talking about cabbage patches um, and then they have a snog as you would do at the end of that and then back in the marina at night time Charlotte boards the boat that he was earlier pretending to want to buy from Davy and hides the bomb basically so there's none of this who did it and did they or didn't they. You just get to see everything in Houseway and I quite like that. I think it's possibly because Shellet is not a suave villain. No. I was quite nervous. I had moments where I thought, is he going to blow himself up by accident? He did just look <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Not shifty in a, obviously shifty up to no good, but also yeah. not proficient as a villain. No, exactly. He's a bit crap. In the court case, in a previous episode, he shot himself in the foot because he got angry and he just <laughs> copped up the entire case and ended up losing everything. So yeah, he's, he's not... Brian Harvey of 80s villains. 
so yes, he's he's going about his awful business back in Charles Freer's sunlit office, which I notice always has the cream sort of gauzy curtain shut because clearly that's Birmingham where the studio is. There's, <laughs> there's no sea outside. That or was gardens. the early version of the Instagram filters. Yeah, like, you know, now in Made in Chelsea when you can barely see their facial features, that's it's sort of what so that was washed doing. Out. We both love Made in Chelsea, don't we, Daisy? We do. Yeah, we could talk about it for hours. We probably do a that's podcast about that podcast. now. I know, probably not. Probably not for now. So Ken, who's dressed in a suit, which he always is whenever he has to deal with Charles and try to be, he wants to be taken seriously. Charles is rather more casual, though. I think the costumes are brilliant in this. Obviously, they're hideous, but they're kind of brilliantly designed for each character. Charles is wearing like a beige jacket and some cream slacks. He's a bit more at ease in these surroundings. Mm. Ken is like sort of stuffed shirt and sort of done up to the nines. That, you know, Charles, pioneer of the smart casual trouser. Yeah. And probably think... the fashion singular too. So it wasn't Beau Brummel, it was him. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but anyway. I forget history, that never happened. <laughs> We're rewriting it now. So Ken is getting twitchy about the local sort of environmental resistance to their plan and Charles is sort of just telling him to play it cool basically. Sometimes there's a little business scene chucked into Howard's way where you kind of think, was that what necessary? Do you mean? Sometimes there's a little business I mean, scene tucked. Most Sometimes of the time the plot forward, this one doesn't boats really. And snogging is tucked into the endless, <laughs> endless business. <laughs> I live for those moments, as you know. Snogging on boats, extra points. Um so back at the marina, Jack is yomping up the gangplank in his coordinating cream Aaron sweater and matching sort of beanie hat. Because that's what you wear if you're a serious bloody sea dog. Oh, I um, loved that look. I love Jack's fisherman chic. He looked great. He's wearing the wellies. He's got the full kit on. And actually there is, if you do image searches for the cast of Howard's Way Online, which I may have done once <laughs> or twice, um, there, there are some brilliant knitting patterns with the male cast members of Howard's Way in sort of different oh knits, my god can you which knit? i imagine you could buy i can but i've not really followed patterns that well before what i would like to do i think is pay someone money <laughs> and give them the passion because i'm not confident yeah. that i could i know the thing is that the sweaters you really want are the ones that avril wears the kind of the really crazy garish ones and i think you'd have to you'd have to make your own pattern for those but some of the men's knitwear is actually you can replicate it yourself at home settle for a hat maybe i'll start with a hat <laughs> i reckon you could probably find a hat in a shop that looks like this but it's a bit it's a bit of a poodle hat from uh, the flumps if you're ever familiar with the flumps <laughs> <laughs> very, very similar. He looks like Poodle going off to sea. And Bill and Jack are bitching about this new navigation equipment that Tom is going to install in the Barracuda, which is the new prototype boat which they're hoping to mass produce. Oh, yes, because I thought it was interesting because Tom is the only one not smoking, but also the <laughs> only one who appears to be talking without moving his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an ADR thing, perhaps because they were filming outside and the sound's cocked up. I've no idea. Anyway, so yes, they're talking about the new world and the old world. They always do that in the boatyard. It's kind of the place where the past and the future meet. Jack is slowly coming around. I like to... what? Well, I like fiberglass. Exactly. It's the constant See, tussle. Julia, I've been doing my homework. <laughs> I'm really impressed, genuinely. But yes, so they're... Not only is fiberglass now the thing, but also this very sophisticated computer equipment, global satellite positioning, which obviously must have been in its infancy back then, but was starting to be used on, on boats. So they're going to fit this to their new exciting yacht. We know why it's so important they have to fit it this episode. Though. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So on board the Barracuda, Tom and Bill are going to, you know. Because I think and- I missed that bit because I was so preoccupied with the non-moving mouths. And uh- I was like, oh, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> now I know what's coming. Yes, yes, you see, this is this is important. This is all driving the plot forward at this point. So they're fitting the new equipment and Shellet is watching from a distance through binoculars because he wants to make sure that Jack is the one getting on the boat. And lo and behold, then Jack gets aboard his wooden boat and goes off for a sail. I think he's still looking at that boat through binoculars thinking, shall I buy this? <laughs> he is, isn't he? It's like, if the bomb doesn't go off, I think I will. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want a bomb-proof boat? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Jack goes off sailing and Lynn pops into the Barracuda and then says the crucial line, 
five minutes earlier and I'd have caught him meaning she'd have been blown up for goodness sake she'd been on the same boat as him oh I, I have now told you what happens not relevant but mm. and much less dramatic than that but I, <laughs> Lynn is making a cup of tea like a cup of soup she's just you know boiled the kettle but she's really like ploughing it with a teaspoon sometimes cup of tea acting is quite hard isn't it because you do too much I think that's the thing when you've got a camera pointed at you you don't do things like you would normally do them because you're thinking action action business like typing with someone behind you <laughs> Yes. But I did quite enjoy her sort of like, I was thinking, did I have like a powdered tea in the 80s? I maybe? just don't know. Maybe it was like that lemon tea stuff. You mm. used to get that in powder, didn't you? No, I think she's just over stirring. So Jack is then, <laughs> it's quite funny how they cut backwards and forwards. Uh, Jack is then sort of sailing incredibly happily in his cream beanie hat, just looking like Never he is the sea. Never happier, that man. Ne- literally. Dog. Have you ever seen a happier man than Jack in that moment? But the music just ever so slightly, it doesn't say, they haven't gone for synth of doom yet, but it just says, Unease. Mm. <laughs> Watch out, but we're not telling you what for. Uh, but we know what for. It's been so heavily foreshadowed that there's just no question what's going to happen. Back on the Barracuda, Lynn is then suggesting perhaps someone should sleep aboard the boat. Now it's full of all this very expensive equipment, which obviously is, is edging her towards her bit of the plot. That's this episode. a coincidence. I know. And then we go back to Jack. Finally, they don't make you wait too long for this, but he's sailing along. It's lovely, it's lovely, it's lovely. They pull back to a wide shot of the boat, and then the front of the boat goes bang. The boom swings round. I love the boom bit. It's amazing. It's quite slapstick, isn't it's it? It's brilliant. So the boom swivels, it connects with Jack's head. Rather sharply. Does it knock his hat off? Actually, that's a good point. Does it knock his hat off? I think by the time he hits the water, there's no hat. So yeah, I think it must do. And he sort of flips. I remember him going head to toe, just sort of diving. But then what I really, really loved how they did it, because it could have been a sort of mad, loud, shouty fire. Yeah. But just show Jack underwater and the sound of him being underwater, which is no sound. And it's exactly. really eerie. I thought it was a really stylish way of doing it. Yeah. And actually shooting underwater, Contemporary I th- way you have to assume they, they have to go and do it in a tank. Because you wouldn't shoot in the sea. Mm. So, yeah, they've specially gone and done it. It's a proper stunt. It's a really nice sequence. So, yes. do you think the actor sort of like, oh, great, you know, they'll like they'll get some footage in of an explosion and I'll sit down and have a yeah. really, really heavily stirred cup of tea yeah. from, from Lynn. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to have to get a big tank and lower you yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they would, they would have had to go to a tank especially. Do you think there was any sort of body double extra business? Or well, was it him in a frogman suit? His, with his face is in shot a lot. And mm. he's, you know, he was a, an older actor then, not sort of ancient or anything, but, you know, he was in his probably was only in his late 50s or something but you know <laughs> he was 43 yeah oh god don't know i know jan is my age in this i think she was 43 oh yes no so right so the boat's so. exploded and luckily a passing speedboat is there just about the time the uh, the bomb goes off and a brave man dives into the sea and after what did i say what seems like a while this very ambient kind of trippy mm. bit of shooting underwater jack is suddenly pulled to the surface and actually people fall out of boats in howard's way obviously a fair bit and when they're brought back on deck it's always shot in real time there's never like one of those clever cuts where hands go down to reach up and the next thing you know he's up on deck like you have to watch the actors or the stunt people whoever they are struggling to get this like waterlogged dead weight back onto the ship do you think that was a sort of a health and safety like we have to show how hard this is we cannot Possibly. make people think that it's just easy <laughs> don't just if go you, jumping in the don't sea don't go on a boat be very careful on your boats jumper. because it's hard <laughs> yes <laughs> but the, knit, the knitwear alone looks so heavy it's just like waterlogged it must it must have weighed like the an extra ton the public safety information adverts don't be a jumper like me <laughs> 
exactly. Always wear your hat. Yeah, well, if you grow up... <laughs> yeah, no, it just came off there. It did him no good. <laughs> you grew up with those public information films in the 80s, you know, when you were a child. Some of the shooting very, very much... Oh, my God, the, that's that. what... It's the dark and lonely water, isn't it? Yes. They're surrounded by dark and lonely water. Exactly, yeah, especially in this particular... I sequence. am death and my name is Shellett. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely is, though. I mean, he's been there from the start, really. He's been promising to do something nuts for ages. So the guys on the boat, they get him on board and they give him mouth to mouth, but he's got no pulse and they race back to the shore because they just need to keep on doing chest compressions uh, until he gets to hospital. Back at the Howard house, obviously unaware of all this kicking off, Lynn and Jan are having an argument about her basically going to move on to the boat because she's only just come out of hospital because of amnesia. Yes, I'm quite, because I missed that bit. Ah. And so I'm still, I'm really struggling to work well, out how... Well, the end of series one, it was really brilliant, oh, dramatic yes, ending. Do you not remember this? She ran away from the yacht after seeing Charles Freer shagging his wife, who he's now trying to divorce, and ran along, sort of in the rain, a kind of wet jetty at night, tripped, slipped, banged her head on a tap and fell in the water. I remember that because mm. I got super confused with that and Abby's pregnancy oh, and her yes. running away. Because Abby was... did try and throw herself in the sea as well in an early episode, so there might be a bit of a, you know... Bloody sea. Your brain's crossing over. Well, it's, it's, it will it's a character injure you in this, when uh... you don't want to be injured. Yeah. It won't injure you enough if you're trying to... But it's to also the yourself. place of great freedom for all the people who love sailing in Howard's Way. It's the place where they go and just commune with nature and forget about their troubles until they get blown up. So, so there's an argument going on at the Howard House. Tom, it turns out, I didn't, I didn't know this until this episode. After Tom and Jan split up, I just assumed he'd moved in with Avril. But then I thought, no, he's not really there that much. So it turns out he's living in the Jolly Sailor. He's living in the ah. pub. I mean, that doesn't sound bad. And it's a real pub, you know. I don't know if you can live there, but you can definitely go for a drink there. Yeah, it's right by the water. It's gorgeous. I don't know about room rates. You'll have to ask them. Anyway, so he's living there, essentially, which is such an old-fashioned thing. Like, you have, what, you haven't rented a bungalow around the corner. Like, you're living in a pub. Must cost a fortune. And then Kate is, uh, obviously, Jan's mum. She's there as well. And she tries to reassure her daughter that her granddaughter will be fine and, you know, don't worry about her. Give us some independence. And Jan says... But it's tempting providence, not fate. Providence. Like, why did she say? I had no idea why she said providence, but I liked it. Uh, and then the, then the French fashion designer, Claude, arrives. Oh, I love Claude. We all love Claude. He is beautiful. I've just written down everything he says phonetically. Like, the maquette is definitely there. <laughs> so, you know, this is a Scottish actor. Mm. This guy is Scottish and he does this incredible, I think it's actually a pretty good accent. Yes, because I remember quite vividly from um, season one of Always There, uh, yeah. Phil Jupiter's is uh, French-Scottish. <sighs> I know, tell me about it. We're both, quite, um, we're both having a moment now, aren't that, we? Yes. Well, let's just think about that for a minute. I might just put a clip can in we, of it Can here we call it? Yeah, got... <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> and Bonjour! Then... <laughs> It's great to see you, Jan. May we? Oh, I've got some right lovely wee bits from my collection of couture. So he arrives. Jan's thrilled to see him. He was, for a moment there, going to marry some French fashion queen woman and changed his mind and explained at great length. She oh, grew he up was to become Rotfeld. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but uh, she wanted uh, him completely or uh, totally and he could not give her that, so he could not marry her. Oh, yes. This is the bit where my YouTube got a bit skippy. That's why I've got multiple box sets. So don't worry. We are paying for this one way or another. Uh, so he is welcomed into the bosom of the Howard family. 
cut to Boatyard where Avril and Bill are wondering where Jack's got to. We know where he's got to. He's basically unconscious in a boat. And then Davy runs over and says, Mr. Rolfe's had an accident and, you know, the hospital have been on. And that's it. Avril runs to her car and speeds off. Meanwhile, at Ken's grey bachelor pad, Claude and Jan have arrived to basically beg him for the money that he keeps on saying he might probably, will possibly give them. Ah. Mm. Because they want to start their fashion empire. And they don't have the seed capital to do that until he hands over the dosh. But obviously, he's sort of using that as a power play with Jan because... Is he also she- concerned about the fact that Jan in the scene is wearing a dressing gown are you, are you sure <laughs> that you could have got you dressed. well this is it this this will be a high fashion dressing gown days it won't just be any normal one and you know i'm reading interviews and stuff around the time the budget was fairly heavily pushed towards the fashion so when the characters are supposed to be wearing high-end not high street fashion they did the bbc costume ladies went out and bought it do you um, enjoy the costumes oh, have you looked online to see if there's anything no actually i haven't I someone haven't, must have some it of must them. exist somewhere mm. there will have been i'm sure that sales of bits and well, i know um, some of the cast did if they liked something they could buy it at the end of the the series but my husband dale big fan of the show hey um, hi dale hello dale worked <laughs> at, and still does um he was at the bbc when they had a, a sale of clothes from w1a <gasps> really and so i can't remember whose jumper it was <laughs> who's the intern oh um the one who's like yeah right yeah cool, yeah great, latte yeah it's cool, got, um, no, one right, of his jumpers sure. but it was a primark <laughs> jumper not a high fashion jumper oh uh, well because he because that's true to his character he's an intern he couldn't afford Ralph Lauren or whatever I know nothing about fashion can you tell hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, Jan says to Ken most urgently, and you know, she's been doing this for a good few episodes now, we need a commitment, Ken. And he replies, 
we're all looking for that jam. <laughs> and she looks a bit, oh, I see. Because, you know, that's a bit of a low blow when she's trying to stick to business and he's clearly trying to pique her guilt. And also definitely he's jealous of the hot French designer man, which I think he should be. But although there's nothing going on with him and Jan, but that doesn't matter. It keeps Ken on his toes. And then immediately back at the Howard house, Jan and Claude return crestfallen after not getting the cash they wanted from Ken. And Kate offers to make them a light supper because <laughs> she's very resourceful and probably just, I don't know, broke up one of the wicker chairs in the kitchen and turned it into a salad or just something. Just a few garlic odds and ends, darling. <laughs> sort of some smooths yeah, 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 some yeah. wicker. She, she's very, very resourceful in the kitchen, Kate. Back on the barracuda at night, Lynn is listening to classical music. Again, don't know what she was listening to. Shazam didn't work. Reading a book and just generally being wholesome. Oh yeah, I was trying to work out what was she reading. Can you see? Couldn't see. It's, it's YouTube. It's a bit what, too fuzzy. I would love it. It should be one of those books where it's sort of a woman on the front spilling out of a corset embracing a boat. <laughs> Having it off with a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly they should have mocked that When up. my ship came in. <laughs> oh, Sorry. no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to... Very good. That's really, really very good. <laughs> when suddenly she's listening to her classical music and a rowing boat approaches across the marina, scaring the shit out of her. And, and she, me, actually. Yeah, she assumes she's about to be raped or murdered or something. And then suddenly Tom appears and she says, Dad, you scared the living daylights out of me. And he says, I'm more concerned about my girl than expensive equipment. Oh, because he loves her. But I like to think that Lynn saying, Dad, you scared the living daylights out of me, then inspired a year later the Timothy Dalton Bond oh. film. I'm pretty sure that's where the producers got it from. I'm um, certain. Yeah. Also, I quite like that she is sort of contained enough to not say what most of us would say. You know, she sort of does that parental edit and says daylights. <laughs> Yes. It's a long and boring, complicated story about a family has two WhatsApp groups and my sister accidentally saw in the one that's not. Oh, no. So there's the sisterhood, which is the six girls and then sisters from this mister plus dad. Oh. Grace swore in the wrong one. We were going on holiday. Dad could not access the internet. And so Grace hijacked the internet, the place we were staying and sort of temporarily broke it to try and raise this message. Like, dad, you give me your phone and I'll sort it out for you. Really? That, so so these, these, are these grown women still worried that if they swear in front of their yep. dad. Oh, wowzer. It was the... Is this the what your book's word, about? The Sisterhood. <laughs> I cannot wait to read this even more now. Okay. The Sisterhood, when's it out? Um, it is out in March 2019. March next year. Excellent. Okay, keep an eye out for that. So, yes, the Bond film is christened Father and Daughter Hug, scene. And then the Red Rolls Royce of Charles Freer, CF1, is zooming through the countryside and um, he's taking Gerald to show him something. And it's strangely romantic. He's like, I want to show you something. It's like a bit, what? You seem to be in love. The, <laughs> the tender bromance. But, you know, maybe there's a little leftover university something or other going on there that we just don't know about. Yeah, Subtext. That would be if, you know, Charles sort of opened up, addressed his sexuality, stopped all the, the dick-swinging <laughs> mad business. You know, he'd find peace. Yeah, he might do, actually. Find yeah, the cabbage just, patch. Exactly. They should all just get back to the cabbage patch, wherever it is. Then we cut to hospital, obviously, where the turmoil and the tension is already subsiding, really, because Jack's fine. He's somehow been revived by the strangers on the speedboat and is just, you know, bandaged and a bit yeah, dazed. Jack looks pretty good, considering. He does. He's got a bit of a bruise, but that's about it. I just noted down the nurse's lemon outfits and the cardboard sort of cake box hats. My mum used to be a nurse sort of back in the day, and she now laments the state of nurse's uniform 
uniform as being just sort of brightly coloured smocks. She thinks all the class has gone out of the business. More elegant pastels. Well, yeah, exactly. Le- lemon dresses. They're very nice. Probably not that practical, though, when you've got sort of bodily fluids splashing <laughs> all over them. But anyway. Blood just uh, won't come out. <laughs> and then uh, a man called Grey from Southampton CID uh, comes in to rather sarcastically ask him what he thinks might have happened to his boat. And Avril sort of absents herself, wearing a completely different shade of lemon here that sort of almost took my eyeballs out. It was so bright. It was quite um, acidic, wasn't it? It was, it was, yes, very, very full on. There's been lots of lemons and bananas and things in the colour palette of Howard's Way, but nothing that bright. That's quite a, maybe 86 was the year that the neon colours. But that seems very now as well. Mm. It's all coming back. Is it neon? Yeah, oh, I've God, definitely seen versions of Avril's jumper on ASOS. Really? God, fashion's weird. And I'm not going to lie, Julia. I'm, um, <laughs> <laughs> I might have to get one. Uh, well, I, I won't judge you if you will. I mean, you know. But anyway, Jack does say that the explosion took the wind out of my sails, which I thought was delightful. <laughs> Excellent. Um, a- any We've boating been a bit, puns? Um, tick. Below, not below par. I'm trying to think. Of, we've not done many boating puns. Not loads. On this episode. I think series it's one was cramped. Par is them. not a. We use them all up. No, that's golfing. I think. Um, yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think I try to let them naturally occur, just because it just feels, you know, it just now feels it's good. getting very forced. Oh, yeah, exactly. You've got to let them bubble up. Just, just relax your shoulders, and you're fine. They just come. They just come. Like waves. <laughs> yes. God. You see? You see? <laughs> anyway, my favourite bit of the whole episode, there's always one bit that just stands out. The policeman says, when Jack asks him, where did you say the hole was that the bomb left in the boat? The hole was eight feet from the pointed end. <laughs> <laughs> so not a sailor then. <laughs> Back at the marina, um, a local journalist is asking Tom questions. And I love the way local papers are interested in Mr. things. Mr Howard, just... <laughs> local press, can we come in? <laughs> <laughs> They'll doorstep Charles Freer about one of his business deals like a paper never would. Like, we're very, very interested in your business deal. Are you? Really? <laughs> okay. See fine. my press card. It's in my hat. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Everyone's got trilbies. It's always it's the done thing. But he questions Tom quite good naturedly about uh, are they still going to go ahead with the transatlantic crossing because Jack was going to do it. Now they have to find somebody else. It's publicity for the new boat, basically. And then Tom says, just before they start talking, that bottom facing you is my daughter, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was slightly inappropriate. Seems odd that he'd draw attention to her bottom but you know we'll let that one go and then essentially the two of them uh, put on a united front and tell the journalist the crossing is going ahead and you can't really see the glint in Lynn's eye but she does do that rather over the shoulder you can quote us <laughs> which suggests that she's more than a little confident that there's someone is going to sell the barracuda across the Atlantic Ooh. I wonder Ooh. Ooh, could it be there a pigeon in here <laughs> um anyway Back with Charles Freer and uh, and his psychic Gerald. They're at this sort of weird waterfront building site where there are some sort of slightly ugly red brick buildings and then loads of cranes and diggers and stuff. So clearly the location scout has found somewhere that looks like it might be some sort of a sophisticated marina development. Oh, um, is this the bit where Charles Braggerly mentions the most 80s thing of all time? A jacuzzi. On. Yes, the jacuzzi. Oh God, he gets really carried away. As these scenes go on, he starts to he starts to get quite excited by rotary clubs. Yes! <laughs> I that. I just thought, if we have a big hotel, we can have everything that goes with it, like a rotary club. What? What, what is a rotary club? Setting your sights high. Is it my, to do with a rotary phone? No, no. My dad used to be in the rotary club. It's a, they're, they're a charitable gathering. They're one of those many things that men do. They, they have lunches. They raise money for charities. You know, yeah, they, just, they so fundraise, basically. But it's, this, a, it's a social thing. This that Charles Freer, he's picturing himself, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Handing over an enormous comedy check 
protected Zag and Coors. <laughs> he is. And maybe that's it. The Club. Maybe that's this whole plan is like, I'm going to get one of those massive checkbooks. It's like, no, no, they're printed individually, Charles. You can't buy them in a book. So, um, Don't make one for me. <laughs> and- I keep doing Charles with a Tom voice. <laughs> but it's hard not to. I want he to does do everyone dominate. with a Tom voice. I know, I know. It's a good voice. But there's, again, peculiarly with the, with the Charles and Gerald scene, the, he has these like heritage strings that often accompany him tooling about the countryside in his car that sort of says class and breeding and strings and Vivaldi. And then they segue into kind of sexy saxophone. Obviously, Charles is quite a sexy character, but it's just odd for that to be on the soundtrack when he's not with one of his ladies. It's a bit mm. sort of like, oh, so again, so, Charles and Gerald. Which makes What are they trying to tell us? More interested mm. in, in that story because I'm sort of... I want to fancy Charles more than I do. I can't really... And even, yeah. you know, Ken has a certain oh, swagger. We, we've had some people on this podcast who struggle with their feelings for Ken on a daily basis still. Yeah. And he's still got it. Jan and Ken in the show um, are together. Jan and Stephen in real life are still married. And Jan sometimes posts really nice pictures of him, like on holiday and stuff. He doesn't basically look any different He's still got this real nice cut to his jib and he always wears a Is nice suit. Is he still suit. a medallion man? Well, no, 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 no. no. I, I do think that might have been a little character detail, but he's a very natty dresser and he did, you know. One of my podcast guests, Catherine Jakeways, has a bit of a problem with how much she loves him. <laughs> but do anyway. you wonder though, don't you, if that sort of Howard's way is the ultimate relationship advice you, you can make your love last by learning lessons through the characters but I won't do that yeah but then what they're basically saying is your marriage can't last if you both have ambitions in different areas in fact it, it was slightly implied that Jan's having any ambition at all mm. might be why their marriage hit the rocks which is a bit I mean again it's very 80s they wouldn't probably have that message in there now at not the now you can get Dormio pasta bake sauce in a jar exactly you and, don't have to get Kate to make and M&S Simply banquets. Foods meal deals I mean my god you know it tastes homemade so why not but yeah so sexy saxophone aside we go to the hospital where kate's arrived to see jack and i love what she's wearing in this scene do you remember her outfit it's kind of like a proper 1940s because she basically is the 1940s um dulcie gray is just so the the clipped way she speaks everything about the way she presents herself is so lovely and sort of old-fashioned do you and think she's that kind of they... wearing a little hat and a little black and white sort of two-piece suit oh, oh yes because i wonder gorgeous. whether wardrobe had something for her and she's oh no Hey, darling, I've got something I'll bring from one home. of my own. I've got a darling little suit. <laughs> yes, you're probably right. But she looks great. And my favourite line of hers this episode is that she says she still has great Uncle Charles's wretched limbs somewhere in the attic. <laughs> so talking about if any, if any bits have been blown off Jack in the explosion, she can probably lend him a leg. <laughs> Which I just thought was Charles. It's one of those, it's such a throwaway, no more questions to ask. Come no. on! <laughs> It's like Uncle Charles's leg. I'm sorry, I want what? a spin-off show called Uncle Charles's leg. <laughs> no, Great Uncle Charles's wretched limb. <laughs> so that's a nice scene. She's a, she's a mate of his. There's never really been any romance there. They just look out for each other, and he sort of rolls his eyes, and she rolls her eyes. But there's a lot of under the light insults, a lot of affection in their relationship. I really like their scenes together. And then back at the Urquhart's house, Abby and Leo are, as usual, talking earnestly about environmental campaigns and protests while looking at newspaper clippings. And Orin's just kind of poo-pooing what they're saying and isn't, isn't really on board, further cementing the fact that clearly Leah and Abby should be together. She comes out of her shell in this series and then, I don't know if you know, but her character trajectory is quite interesting. For a while you just think, oh God, that poor woman, like her character is just this sort of quite depressed, fairly ineffectual 
person and then it gets more ludicrous towards the end of the six series run to the point where I think in oh, series good. five something just snaps in Abby and oh my god it's spectacular oh that's gonna be brilliant I'm you telling do, you I mean with a mother like that bloody hell yeah it's no wonder she's browbeaten him she has got the worst mother but in I do the also world. think sort of Oren's come all the way over and you know he's such a irritating negative like, he is he's very polite yeah. we're a guest in their home you know it would not kill you to be like oh that sounds interesting exactly. rather than just being like no I don't think he's, a, he's, no, he's not a very dynamic character he's just yeah he is a bit of wishy-washy negative perhaps if it's a sort of a, a show about Thatcher he is you know Reagan and that sort of awful yes. capitalist wankery pumped up to the nth degree it's that'll a bit be it sort of He's raging. Of course he is. Of course he is. You've, you've totally got Well, maybe got this. I'm reading too much into it. No, <laughs> I, I don't think that's possible. Genuinely, it's not possible. Otherwise, this podcast is dead in the water. <laughs> dead in the dead water! In the water! <laughs> like Jack wasn't. <laughs> Nearly. But. You see? Relax the shoulders and up they come. <laughs> anyway, back on this strange building site, Charles is plotting to pave paradise with Gerald. And um, this is where he's getting really, really kind of razzed up about <laughs> rotary clubs. And he oh, says, I want everything on one side. Business, recreation, vacation, leisure, and jacuzzis. Yes, it is the most. <laughs> it just gets really excited. I wonder if that scene inspired the British Empire. Do you know? Maybe it did. Because there's an amazing. He says something really mad and specific about phones being like two-way, digital, authorized, pre-wired phone systems. <laughs> That's right. He's talking about essentially opening a business center. So mm. no, not an office, Gerald. Somewhere where, and then he lists all the things he's going to put in it, like it's an office, basically. Mm. So I'm guessing it's a business center that people can rent for cheap. And yes, he's going to provide all this incredible equipment, telephones, yogurt pots, <laughs> posters <laughs> on the wall of kittens on trees, saying, hang in there. <laughs> Yeah, because normal people can't afford those. And then he quickly gets around to his divorce. Gerald's handling it for him. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. And he just says, uh, come on, it's not exactly the Treaty of Rome, just I want it done. I um, did like that line about the Treaty of Rome. I'm not sure what the Treaty of Rome is. Neither am I. I. But it sounds impressive, right? <laughs> Anyway, back at the hospital, Jack and Tom are trying to get to the bottom of the explosion. They're sort of tossing some theories around. And then back at the yard in the office, Lynn pops her head around the door because she's looking for the charts. Why would she be looking for the charts, mm. Daisy? No idea. And obviously her and Avril, it's just a bit doing awkward some with them. Then, I think, just, yeah. just shuffling some papers. But Lynn and Avril, obviously their relationship's uneasy because, I mean, Leo has a much lower opinion of Avril because when their dads left their mum, he went off and, you know, into the arms of Avril pretty much straight away. Well, Le- even though Leo quite fancy Avril, didn't well, this he? is why he's extra angry, I think, because when he uncovers their love, he realises he's made a fool of himself as well. So he's sort of extremely angry because he thought maybe Avril might fancy him because she was letting him paint her hallway. Not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, yes, it turned out she had no feelings in that direction at all. So he felt like double stupid. But Lynn is, she's a bit more forgiving, I think. And uh, But it's still a bit awkward between the two of them. And they keep on mentioning this man, Frank Eversley. I don't know why they have to keep yes. naming him. Like he's the red herring in this episode. If this was a Jed Mercurio written uh, series, he would be like the boyfriend of the wife that you never see because he's not important. Even though you think he's going to come in as a character at the end and just like, you know, change everything. He's not actually important at all, but he's called Frank Eversley. I don't think we ever meet him. But he's touted as the man who could probably take the Barracuda across the Atlantic, what with Jack now being laid up in hospital. But he um, won't get the publicity that they... Exactly. And it keeps being driven home. This sort of... <laughs> I suppose this was pre-emails and press releases. Exactly. You couldn't go on Gorkana and say, it's the Barracuda. No, you it's couldn't. Coming. Exactly. You needed a stunt. You needed something big. Um, obviously, they are going to get that, but not the one they thought. And then back at the marina, Charles and Gerald have worked their way around to the marina now. He's thinking about 300 to 400 bedroom hotel. 
that's what he's thinking about. He's thinking very big. Banqueting, oh, yes, rotary clubs, seminars. The and they works. have to bring the customers because they're like, well, if we have a hotel, no one's going to come here. We need everything else. Like, exactly. what do, you, do you want a country? He's Charles, going for to it? build you're trying a to build? small country. I think he is basically, he, well, he's wanting like a sort of a tin pot dictatorship. And he kind of gets it, but it's quite hard to show that on TV, you know, building an entire empire. <laughs> so, you know, you just get little bits of it. I um, just hope the hotel has one of those fabulously naff glass cases with gift shop items. Oh, yeah. Swarovski crystal encrusted boats i guess yeah Tiny no boats. it'll have like shit nautical jewelry or that kind of thing what did you call it not nauticulture nautique. Oh, nautique the fashion is very much nautique i've yeah. actually in a very sort of loosey goosey way i've got these are i'm wearing earrings um made oh. by a jeweler from margate oh. at Rio Jules, where i live and they're supposed to be coral with bits of pearls so hey like, nod to the sea you've gone a little bit mermaid i like bit it very nice on me although thank you I very much it's sea not boats but you well know. that doesn't matter no it's all the same to me now where where are we? He wants a 300 to 400 bedroom hotel, which is fucking massive. I mean, this is like not even in Southampton. Like, who's going to stay there? But also, that's a lot of rotary clubs. Because <laughs> there's only usually, you know, a handful Ooh, of people in each one. think of the check. Think <laughs> how massive that check is So many be. big checks. Oh, he's going to be in Clover. Back at the Howards, Claude is telling Jan that Kenny's jealous and she's kind of saying, no, no, oh, yes. I don't think he can be. There's nothing between us. because he thinks you and I have a big romance. <laughs> romance, not romance. No. Okay, fine. Pronunciation gets a bit funny there. And there's like romantic theme music. And this is where I've just put, he sounds like a nicer Fred from first dates. <laughs> where he's just talking about love. His and love, to... his business, <laughs> yes. his too much passion, his commitment, his friendship, his business. Most of all, do not forget the sexy, sexy business. <laughs> I just like it when he says those words. I wonder if he was method if he stayed French off camera because it must be quite hard to keep that accent going. I might stay French off camera now. Oh yeah, I might just dug like glad for the rest of my life. It's completely fantastic. <laughs> anyway. It's totally convincing and yeah. not offensive in any way. Yeah. I didn't. No, not at all. No, no, no. It's fine. It's not reducing one nation down to a funny French accent like hello, hello or something. <laughs> well, did um, you know the French for lol? Um, you might know this already, but mm. I like this fact nugget it's um mdr or um mot de rire die laughing oh really oh they're so much better at that oh, shit than we are, are aren't they i might just be french on twitter so charles freer back in his office he's now probably more excited than i've ever seen him even with a woman um and he's <laughs> <laughs> and he's going i've thought of something else and gerald says you thought of everything <laughs> and and then he reveals that he also wants to include a gambling casino a gambling not, one, casino. not one of those non-gambling <laughs> ones <laughs> I just thought it was but, like what? What, what they do in the gambling casino? The, the, the I drink, no idea. Drinks mostly. Yeah, to drinking, crafting. Um, yes, it's very odd that he specifically wants it to be a gambling casino. I think what he means is not slot machines. He wants Omar Sharif playing poker. That's what he wants. And he mentions obviously that he smoothed a man called Viscount Cunningham, Victor Meldrew. <laughs> Victor Meldrew played Viscount Cunningham. Um, have, we, have we met him yet? Have yeah, yeah. Him? I'm afraid you missed him. Sorry, he was he was helicoptered to I a French. Don't Leave it. Yeah, that's what he said. You know, he's helicoptered to a French chateau, which is in fact in Buckinghamshire. Yeah, <laughs> in a helicopter that had very ah, clear livery on the side. I know that part of France very well. <laughs> and the helicopter that landed in there was from a company that's based in, uh, I think it's Bedford. <laughs> and it had just like the English logo on the side. It was very funny. 
Viscount Cunningham has been brought on board for this development as just as a kind of he's instant respectability he's landed gentry everyone has a lot of respect for old money in this show uh, I think he has links with the environmental lobby that he can bend them to their way of thinking they're expecting problems with the environmental lobby just lob well, that one in there do you, remember the opening the yeah, do you remember the opening of the episode remember Leo and how much he loves nature then Ken back at Ken's place Jan and Ken yes, are talking about Ken business. Masters kissing Jan's foot I know it's a bit saucy I'm, I didn't enjoy that do you remember when Fergie was caught on holiday mm. having her toe sucked I was getting that confused because <laughs> what was the David Mellor one was that something else oh no now that was didn't she have to wear a Chelsea football kit for him or something horrible oh, yeah, like that it did seem to be a sort of late 90s toe sucking tabloid epidemic oh you might be right was there toe yeah I think that was toe sucking wasn't it Ken and Jan are being lovely to each other which is kind of quite surprising because she's really knocked that he won't just cough up the cash that she's asked for because he hinted he would and now he's just he's not committing basically and she said something about in business you have to be tenacious oh no he says that and then she said like you know me it's like do I have to spell it out I'm being tenacious give me the money and they have a snog and they're drinking out very tall thin flutes of champagne and I notice he's put a bowl of peanuts on the table because you know clearly he wants to impress her Um, get the ladies oh yeah because it seems quite late I know you've talked about this before about sort of time is a there is no time nebulous in concept mm. in Tarrant, but yeah. it's like they're going to have heartburn. I know that's that's not going to play well at all, is it? Especially if they try and do it. Mm. Like, no danger of that though, because he's just not being very nice to her. And she actually points out quite sensibly, supposing I was a man, because that's that's a good point. He's only withholding the cash because he's going oh, silly woman. Yeah, she stands up for herself, which is good. But they fall out, and she uh, leaves, banging the door behind her, saying that she the only banging there is. <laughs> Sadly, yes. No, no, no. Except for the banging on doors that she and Claude are now going to be Mm. doing because Ken has let them down. So there you go. She's made her point. Thank you very much. Back at the Urquhart's house, Orin, the ineffectual plot device from America <laughs> is not interested in Abby's activism at all is sort of negging it and gainsaying it and Polly having had a bit of a row with Gerald about money earlier in the day is offering him a truce some people are coming around to dinner and then he says something weird about Armenians but it made no sense to me I... he said something about Charles must have been related to Armenians even like as a historical thing like what's he saying Armenians are what like either way it sounds a bit racist we should they, gloss over do they it. like really enormous hotels <laughs> Perhaps they do. They're really into rotary clubs. (laughs) Then the next scene, which uh, the scene itself is great, but it's just so odd. They've set it in a motor museum. (laughs) Like they've surrounded Charles Freer by heritage cars. But I think, because knowing where the location is, I would guess using my detective brain, which is highly tuned, that this is Bewley, which is just along the coast from there. So towards the New Forest and it's where this incredible heritage motor museum is. So I would say Charles is walking around Bewley. There's like one of those shots where it starts with this incredible car and then the camera pans across and finds Charles. And for quite a while, he and this other rather nice looking gentleman are sort of, again, looks like either spies or a gay assignation. <laughs> Do you like Campari? <laughs> um, you try saying that to that guy. So they're talking around each other and then eventually... They talk and we realise why Charles is meeting him. Do you remember this bit? Yes. So it's to do with Charles's divorce. Mm -hmm. This man is flying off to America to facilitate the divorce. How is he going to do that? Is he going to capture evidence of his wife 
having it off with yes. him or with Greg. someone else? No, with, with Greg. Greg. I mean, look at Greg. Come on, Greg's a Greg's a honey trap. I'd have it off with Greg. Right there, he is gorgeous. He's probably from a model agency or something. He's just very handsome. Um, yes, he's going to get Greg to commit adultery with Honey Gardner, his soon-to-be ex-wife, and he's asking oh, to get photographed. Oh, that's the most sort of made-up Bond girl. That would get thrown be- out of the Bond script. It's meeting. exactly that. It's definitely a Bond girl name. Uh, also, as Phil and I worked out, she's a bee. Because a honey gardener is a bee. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So if he's been married to a bee, he doesn't <laughs> want to be married to a bee anymore. And yeah, he says to Greg, get photographs, including, what is it? The bedside clock. Oh, yeah. He must have the date on as well. Like, while she's committing adultery. And hold up a newspaper. <laughs> which, which does conjure up a hilarious image. Like, I'm g- sorry. While, while we're having sex, I'm just going to stick my flash on top of the camera, which is a separate plug. <laughs> I'm guessing he had one of those like long, slim Kodaks or like a Polaroid. So the plan is hatched for Charles to speed up the divorce by basically getting her to commit adultery. And then back at Ralton Marine, Tom's dressed up in his suit because when he goes to hang out in the boardroom, he needs to look the part, even though he's really over that shit now. He doesn't want to do it anymore. But he does it for this. He addresses the board, talks about Jack's accident and how everyone keeps going on about but we need publicity publicity like that's not the way Tom's brain really works but obviously the point is being driven home because publicity is what they're going to get obviously at some publicity means that Frank is I mean we don't care about Frank so why should the mythical people in and around Tarrant care Frank the readers of whichever paper that guy worked for but anyway back at the yard Tom and Leo arrive to find the Barracuda gone that's weird, Julia. That's <laughs> know, really right? odd. What, what could have happened? And then in the office, Avril says she doesn't know where the boat is. She's wearing dark pink, which I thought rather suited her. And uh, Leo has got his biker jacket zipped up, which I like. It's a good character detail for him. He just he just looks a bit spotty. You let it flap open, don't you, if you're a kind of a rebel without a cause? You're, but then also I'm thinking they are so near the water, it's going to be chilly. Yeah, you're right. It's probably a bit breezy. No, fair enough. I'll Practical let him lad, off. Leo. And Avril says that Lynn did pop in and ask for the charts could that be important yes Avril I think it might be important anyway uh, was she wearing her special I heart going boating and running off in my dad's boat (laughs) and her big anchor earrings (laughs) and I think I know what's happened back at the Howard's house obviously Tom phones home to see if he can track down Lynn but there's no answer the phone's engaged because it's Kate talking to somebody at the stables about her horse Aztec boy, of which she owns a leg. Um, <laughs> but a different leg from the one that was in the attic. Yes, no, I, I, I jolly well hope so. Imagine trying to run with that. But anyway, uh, she hangs up the phone and then <laughs> Jan says to her the immortal line, are you being honest with me about your horse? <laughs> <laughs> which again, I just thought, cut the horse stuff. I'm not interested, just cut the horses. And Jan's wearing a very drapey kind of off-white pantsuit in this. She looks very stylish. Very kind of like she just stepped out of, I don't know, uh, an advert for Bazique or one of those <laughs> 80s drinks that, you know, only very sophisticated people drank. And then the phone rings again and it's Tom saying that Lynn has gone missing. And they've already been through this once because she went missing when she banged her head that time and fell in the water. So obviously, you know, the last thing they want is to worry about her again. And then we cut to the deck of the Barracuda, beautiful sunset. And Lynn is on board. She's at the tiller. And the closing oh, music just swells up No one her. has ever looked happier. You can't tell me this, can you? I just want to know that Lynn has a lovely straightforward crossing and it's all fine. She gets I to America. I can't tell you. I don't want to spoil it because you are going to watch it, aren't you? I'm going to watch it. Well, I'm it. not going to tell you. You know I'm a fan. But yes, don't worry. It's all fine. In fact, it's better than that. You're going to love. Okay, so 
you I, have to watch it. We I'm need really, to really hoping it. that the publicity is so good that everyone's like, Lynn is the best sailing lady in the world. Because this being the 80s, it, yeah. it's not going to be sailor. It's going to be, she's a sailing lady. Sailing lady. And she'll win a special crown and some sort of orb. But anyway, that's the end of the episode. Lynn is pointing towards the West. She's sailing towards New York with determination and grit because that's the kind of gal she is. And I hope she packs some sandwiches because I did not see her go shopping to get any provisions. So you're going to watch more? I will definitely be. Excellent. I need to see what's happened next. Excellent. It's just so good, isn't it? I love it. I'm so glad. So you, obviously you didn't see it first time around, but when did you come back to Howard's Way? Was it just something that someone mentioned or was it me saying, Daisy, Daisy, you watch Howard's Way? It's it brilliant. was you. And I think I yes. started listening to you and loving the podcast because of what you said. That it's so relaxing in these difficult modern times. But it it's is. something that happened a while ago. And it's high stakes, but low stakes. And that sort of nostalgia for a time I can't really remember. It is really, really soothing. And I love the look of it. And I love the drama. I love comedy more than anything in the world. And... Howard's Way has enough accidental comedy for me to adore it. Well, lots of really thrilling, engaging yeah. bits as well. And yeah, I just yeah. love it aesthetically. I love the glamour. I love that it is as close to, I think, maybe Dynasty or Dallas yeah, as Britain sure. has ever got while being thrillingly naff because everything in the 80s was... I'm so glad. And the blue been, drinks. Love oh, a blue drink. The blue drinks are great. They do need ice, though, whatever they are. Thank you so much for coming on. And you know the drill if you've been listening. Are you prepared to sing the closing credits? I am. I'm not sure they're going to scan. Doesn't matter. Scanning is not important. You've heard the show. It just remains for me to say thank you, Daisy Buchanan, for being always there. How it's way. We're watching how it's way. We're going to be okay. We're by the sea. Watching Howard's way, Jack explodes. Hope he's in short for loads. Full sail now, not Frank Evsley, he won't get publicity. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.